Well, if you are new to Warehouse Church, let me just say welcome. We're so grateful that you're here, and we are in the midst of the series called Daniel, uh, Following God in Babylon. And, uh, and it is a story. The book of Daniel is a story about a man named, a young man named Daniel and his friends who were taken from their homeland and they are placed in a foreign land that had very, very, very different values than what they did. And the question that we've been asking is this, how do we follow God? How do we follow God in a, uh, when we live in a culture where our values don't align or our values don't match up? with the values of the world that we live in, where these two things, the values of the world and our values, would inevitably rub up against each other and create tension or friction in our lives. How do we live as Christ followers in this world, in this, in this cultural Babylon that we find ourselves in? And I love Daniel, and I love Daniel because he exhibits so many incredible attributes that I want to have in my life. And so far in chapter one, we've talked about this idea in Daniel chapter one, uh, how we, he resolved, Daniel resolved to hold on to his values no matter what the consequences were. And the question that we asked at the end of week one was, have we resolved? Have we resolved what our values are? Have we gone to the scriptures? Have we gone to God's word? And have we decided because God is the ultimate determiner of values, have we, did, have we resolved that these are the values that I'm going to hold in my life no matter what? In chapter 2, we talked about how we can go to God for wisdom, that when we are faced with values that are opposing our own, that we don't have to figure it out on our own, but we can always go to God for wisdom, just like Daniel. Daniel asked for wisdom in interpreting the king's dream, and so we can go uh, to God for wisdom when we are in need, when those values are rubbing up against our values, and they're not matching, and they're creating tension, and we're like, I don't know what to do. We can always go to God for wisdom. And last week in chapter 3, we talked about the courage, the courage that Daniel's friends had as they refused, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, as they refused to worship the 90-foot statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and, and they were resolved. They were resolved to worship God and God alone no matter what, even if it meant going into the fiery furnace. And they told King Nebuchadnezzar last week, they said, listen, we're never going to worship that statue because we worship one God and him alone. And even if he doesn't rescue us from the fiery furnace, we will continue to worship God. And these are virtues that I think that we need to have, that you and I need to have as we uh, follow God in this cultural Babylon that we live in. And today I want to talk about how do we respond how do we respond when things in the world do go our way? Like, what does that look like when, when the culture's values begin to shift to match our own values? How do we respond in those moments? Like, do we respond in pride when things go our way? Or is there a better way for us to respond? And Daniel chapter 4 reminds us of the journey of pride. And it reminds us that the journey of pride doesn't always end up in a place that you and I want to go. And so as Christians, how do we respond when we're winning? 
How do we respond when we're winning, when things are going our way, when we are on the mountaintop, when success is happening in our lives? How do we respond? And the question I want you to think about is what are you building and, what, and who are you building it for? What are you building in your life and who are you building it for? And so there's a guy named George and George looks like many of us and he was a self-made man, George was. And, and he was doing well in his business and he was becoming well-known in the community, and he was involved in his church, and he had a wonderful wife whose name was Mary, and he was quite pleased with his accomplishments. He sat in his recliner at the end of the night, and he was like, man, look at what I have done. The local newspaper even published an article on George's contributions to the community, and, and, and everything was going well. And although Mary was proud of her husband, she began to get a little concerned. She wondered if George's enjoyment of all the thing, good things that God was doing through him was actually going to his head and turning him into an arrogant fool. And you know, in Daniel, we see King Nebuchadnezzar, who we've talked about. He was the most powerful man in the world at that time. He built an amazing, gorgeous, beautiful uh, kingdom called Babylon. And the city, the city was an absolute marvel. And, and he basically walked around the city looking at his creation and he's saying, look at what I did. Look at this beautiful thing that I have created. I did this. This was all because of me. As a matter of fact, there's this archaeological inscription of just exactly how he felt about his city. He said these words, he says, I have made the city of Babylon to the foremost of all countries. It's better than any other kingdom out there. He says, in every human habitation, there is nothing like it that compares in all the world. It says, its name I have elevated to the most worthy of praise among the sacred cities. King Nebuchadnezzar is like, you can't touch my city. There's no city better than mine. There are no more, no human beings better than the ones that come from my kingdom. And so he thought his city was pretty impressive. And truly it was. Here's a, a rendering of the city of Babylon and uh, what it may have looked like in 570, uh, 575 B.C., and you see there are these amazing fortified blue walls, uh, and a watchtower was found every 62 feet. And actually, those walls that were on the outside, they were 21 feet thick. So you could drive um, a, a car on the top of the walls. It was that wide, and it was that thick. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar had three palaces of his own inside of the city of Babylon, and it was an incredible, incredible sight to see. People would come from all over to check out the city of Babylon. But the most celebrated part of the city was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And you just get a little sneak peek of it right here. And you got to understand, you might like, but wow, that's trees and a waterfall, big deal. But, but that was in a place where trees and waterfalls weren't around. Like you couldn't walk up to a place near Babylon and find green, lush trees like this. And so Nebuchadnezzar built these hanging trees of gar uh, um, hanging gardens of Babylon for his wife because she came from a land that had these lush trees and, and lush vegetation all around it. And so he wanted her to feel at home. And so he creates 
the hanging gardens of Babylon, which became, by the way, uh, was in the beginning one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Like it made the top seven list of places to see. And so the king made this amazing garden for his wife. And one commentator in the biblical commentator said this, it said that if you built this, if you built Babylon and if you built the hanging gardens of Babylon, you would probably struggle with pride as well. Like it was something that you just didn't see. Uh, and, it, and, and it was just that amazing. And what we see in Daniel chapter 4 is that none of this would have been possible apart from God's will. None of this would have happened if it hadn't have been for God. And you and I, we've heard the phrase, you finished the phrase for me, pride comes before the fall. We've all heard that, right? Pride comes before the fall. And, and you and I, uh, we have to struggle with and battle with this idea of pride. C.S. Lewis, Christian author, he said this of pride. He said, pride leads to every other vice. Think about that for a minute. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Think about Adam and Eve. You know what created the fall? Pride. They thought they could do it better. They thought they had their own way of doing things and pride led to the fall. And in Daniel 4, we discover that there are two ways, two ways that you and I can overcome pride. And, and, and it's this. Let me just give it to you right up front. It's either pride will either be addressed personally or providentially. It will either be addressed personally or providentially. In other words, you can come to a point, and I pray that you do, that you recognize that there is pride in your life. Maybe you are there, and maybe you're recognizing, you know what, I got some pride in my life. Like, I've puffed my chest out uh, about some things in my life, and there's some pride in my life. And, and, and so Daniel tells us, listen, you can address it personally. And you can address it personally, and you can just humble yourself. You can recognize on your own, I've got some pride issues, and then you humble yourself. Or option two, which I completely do not recommend, is that you hold on to that pride, right? Like you hold on to that pride, you pop your collar, you receive the glory, and eventually, providentially, God will come and humble you in some way. And that's what happens in Daniel chapter 4. And if you read the Proverbs, you see this over and over again that God detests pride, that God abhors pride pride, that God hates pride. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 5, it says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. It says, be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction. That's where we get the phrase, pride comes before the fall. A haughty spirit, it says, before a fall. And what is pride? Well, pride is simply this. It's when a person looks at their own accomplishments and gives themselves all the credit. That when a person builds something, creates something, is successful at something, they take all the credit. And we need to be careful, you and I, we need to be careful when it comes to pride because it can manifest itself in multiple ways, especially two different ways. You see, like I said, we're all building something. Some of us are building a family. Some of us are building a business or a reputation. And you and I are all building something. And when it goes really well, 
and we experience success, there is this temptation to be able to hear the praises of others and become prideful. Oh, I wish I had a family like yours. And you get a little more prideful. You stand a little taller. I wish I could be as successful as you. And you get a little more prideful. Your name gets in the newspaper. You're a little more prideful because of the things that you're doing, your accomplishments. And it's easy for us to fall into the temptation of pride. But what happens on the reverse side? What if we're building something and it doesn't go well? And I think insecurity is what comes out of that. That when we do attempt to build something and we fail at it, we, 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 we discover insecurity. And whether we experience insecurity because we're ex- not experiencing the success that we want or, or we are building uh, and, and pride because we're experiencing it, there's a thread that ties both, exp- uh, both insecurity and um, pride together. And it's this aspect of that we want the glory. Like insecurity is created because we're not getting the glory. Pride is created because we are getting the glory and we're allowing it to go to our head. We want the pat on the back, right? Like we want to receive the glory for the work that we do. We want the attaboy. We want our name on the marquee. We want our name in the newspaper. And what Nebuchadnezzar is going to find out, and I pray that we do as well, is that everything that we do is because God is at work. And because God is in control. <clears throat> so let's, let's check out Daniel chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, let's just invite you to open up or the Version Bible app. And uh, we're going to start in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. And here Nebuchadnezzar is speaking and he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. And I don't know if you've ever been there before. Maybe not in your palace, maybe you don't have a palace, but maybe you've built something and you've accomplished it and you sat back and you're like, look at what I did. Look at it, I did this. This is because of my hard work, because of what I did. And like Nebuchadnezzar, you're in your palace and you're content in your home and you're prospering there and you go, wow, this is pretty incredible. Look at what I've done. And Nebuchadnezzar had a reason from a human standpoint, to be able to be content and prosper. I mean, he had every reason because he had had success after success after success. He had taken over this country and this country and this land. He really had no enemies left. He had built this amazing city and people. He he even built a garden that became one of the seven wonders of the world. But even though Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a follower of God, God wasn't going to let pride go to his head. And here's what it says in verse 5, if you read on. It says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And let me just tell you, instead of reading it, I'll tell you quickly about his dream. He dreams that there's this big tree. He dreams that there's this big tree that can be seen throughout the entire world, and its branches, this tree's branches reach far out, and all, uh, uh, and all the animals and all the people found shelter under these branches of this huge tree. And the tree is obviously Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian empire that he has built. That's what the tree represents, and, and it's so impressive. There's nothing like it in the entire world, but there is a mighty messenger from heaven in his dream that enters into the dream, and it knocks down the tree. And the tree falls, and there's only a stump that remains. And listen to what it says in verse 15 
uh, the second part. This is what the messenger, the mighty messenger from heaven says. It says, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Verse 17, the decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. Now Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he hears the words of the messenger and he's freaking out. And so what does he do when he has a dream that he can't understand? He goes to his magicians and his sorcerers and his wise guys. And he says, hey, tell me about the dream. But none of them could interpret the dream. And so he goes to the one he always goes to, Daniel. And he brings in Daniel. And after Daniel hears the dream, Daniel's nervous. And he's nervous to respond and to tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream is about. But, but Nebuchadnezzar is like, I, I can tell that, that it's bad by your reaction, Daniel. I can tell that what you're about to tell me is bad, but, but just tell me. Like, tell me what it means. And so look at verses 24 and 25, and we see what Daniel says. Daniel says, this is the interpretation. He's like, King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what your dreams mean. Your majesty, and this is the decree the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. He says, you will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So here's what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, he says, listen, king, the tree, the tree in your vision, the tree in your dream, that represents you. And he says, and it's because of your pride. It's because you've puffed up your chest. It's because you've said, look at what I did. It's because of your pride that there's about to be a fall unless you humble yourself and give glory to God. So Daniel's like, listen, I hate to tell you, this isn't about your enemies. This is about you. And it's about your pride issue. You've got a pride problem. And he's like, and if you don't fix your pride problem, if you don't do it personally, God is going to do it providentially. If you don't take care of your pride now, there's going to be a fall. And here's what it says in verse 26. I keep reading. It says, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. In other words, what Daniel says, he says, listen, if you humble yourself, if you humble yourself after your fall, you still can be reinstated. Your kingdom can be built again. There's a second chance. Aren't you glad that we serve a God of second chances? That God gives us seconds and thirds and fourth chances because he's a God of grace. Verse 27 says, Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So you see Daniel, uh, the warning that Daniel gives is that, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, no one's arguing that your kingdom is great. 
No one's arguing that you have built an amazing place, but you have let pride come in. You've let pride take over, and there's going to be a fall because God abhors, God hates pride. And if, it, if you don't do something about it, you will fall. He says, but there's a way to prevent it. He says, listen, there's a way around, there's a workaround, and here it is. He says, if you will renounce your sins, in other words, if you will repent, King Nebuchadnezzar, if you'll just repent of your sins, things will be different. And what is repent? We hear that a lot in church, but do we know what that means? Like often when we hear the word repent, we think, oh, that's a bad word. Oh, I don't want to hear that word. Oh, preacher used the word repent. But repent's not a bad word. Repent is really, it's threefold. It simply is this. First, a person comes to a place uh, where they see uh, that, that, that they are not aligning, that they are far from God, that a person recognizes I'm far from God and they feel bad about it. They feel sorrowful for being apart from God. And then because of that, because they feel sorry, they come to God and they ask God for forgiveness. They're like, listen, God, I recognize that I am far from you. I recognize that I'm doing things that hurt you. I recognize that my life is not living up to what you want. And so I'm sorry. And they ask for forgiveness. But repentance ultimately means this. Not only asking for forgiveness, but changing the direction completely. It's refusing to go down the same path. It's saying, you know what, God, I've been going down this path without you. But because I have repented, because I'm sorry for what I'm doing, I was once going in this direction, but now I'm choosing to go in the complete opposite direction towards you. That's what repentance is. It's not a bad thing. It's just us recognizing that we're far from God. And because we recognize that we're far from God, we feel, we feel shame for that. We feel, um, we feel sorry for that. And so we ask God for forgiveness, but we don't just ask God for forgiveness. We turn and change our direction, and we go in an opposite direction. So if we were going in a direction that leads to pride, we'd say, you know what, God? Uh, I feel bad for that. I'm repenting for my pride, and I'm choosing to go in the opposite direction, which leads to humility. Or maybe it's like I've been, uh, uh, maybe your, your addiction is your thing and you're like, I've been going in this direction. I feel bad because I've been struggling with addiction and I'm choosing because I feel bad for the way of my going. I'm far from you, God. I'm sorry for what I've done and I'm choosing not only to say I'm sorry, but I'm going to do all that I can do to live a clean life. And whatever it is, you put whatever you want in that in that box, whether it's pride, whether it's addiction, whether it's uh, depression, whether it's uh, anxiety, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's anger, whatever it is, when you repent, you say, God, I'm sorry for that, but you don't keep doing it. Repentance means that you go in the opposite direction. So if you struggle with unforgiveness or, or anger, maybe you struggle with anger, you say, God, I'm sorry for being angry all the time. Then you turn and you repent and you go in a new direction, a direction which leads to kindness and forgiveness and love and not anger. And so that's what repentance is. And, and, and look at how Daniel describes what it looks like for those who experience prosperity, for those who are struggling with pride, for those who are building something up and experiencing success. He says, listen, he says, renounce your sin by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And here's what is fascinating. 
that what is typically tied to pride is not only do we give all the glory to ourselves, like pride's not always like, look at what I did and patting ourselves on the back and wanting others to pat ourselves on the back, but it's also keeping the spoils, right, for ourselves. Like that's what pride does. It keeps the spoils, it keeps the success to ourselves. In fact, what Daniel shares here is that the road from pride to humility can be done personally by using your success to bless others. The key to overcoming pride is bringing glory to ourselves. Uh, the, the key to overcoming pride and bringing glory to yourself and to solely enjoying the spoils of your success is this idea of humility, of not being the one in the spotlight and not keeping all of the successes to yourself, but to sharing those with others. And I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says these words. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with what? Humility, which is the opposite of pride. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You see, the difference between a person, a proud person and a humble person is that when they experience successes, and a humble person can experience successes, they see it as a gift from God rather than something they did. And the reason for their success is because God allowed it to happen. And they share their successes with others. And see, in our successes, we should glorify God and bless others. This is the antidote to pride. That when we begin to sense pride welling up in us, that we should be glorifying God. We should be putting the spotlight on God. It's because of God that this happened. And we should be a blessing to those around us. But here's the reality. Those that are filled with pride, like George in the beginning of, their, of our sermon, those filled with pride, they want the spotlight on them, don't they? Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, when he said these words. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and what? And glorify your Father in heaven. You see, the goal in life is not to achieve success so that the spotlight can be on us. The goal in, our, in life is to achieve so that you can shine the spotlight on God in heaven. It's never, ever about us. Humility is never about us. Humility is seeking our, seeing ourselves lower than God and a servant to others. And I think this is a big deal. Like I think in our culture today, we don't get humility. Humility, though, is seeing ourselves lower than God. We're not a doormat. Humility doesn't mean we just let people walk all over us, but it does mean that we see ourselves lower than God and that we become a servant to others. So the question that I want to ask you is how do you handle success? Like how do you handle it when things go your way? Remember the proud, they want the glory. They're like, I want the spotlight on me. I want the glory and I want to keep the spoils of my success. But the humble say this is only possible because of God. God made this happen, and I'm going to share my spoils with others. So how can we take what we've worked so hard for and give God the glory and bless others? Well, our story continues, and Nebuchadnezzar did a pretty good job. Like, he heard, he heard the dream, he heard Daniel, and he did a really good job for about 12 months. He did a good job for 12 months, and, and, you, and, and you might be walking out of here today, and you might be saying, you know what? I might have a little more pride in me than I want to 
than I want to admit. And maybe I need to be a more humble person. And maybe you walk out saying, I need to see myself as lower than God. I need to be more generous with others because Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar to do that. But 12 months from now, 12 months from now, I pray, this, you might say this, I pray that my reaction is not the same as King Nebuchadnezzar. Because check out what verse 28 says. It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. So he did okay for 12 months. He took the warning. He heeded the warning. For 12 months, he, he, he swallowed his pride. And as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, verse 30, he said, is not this the greatest Babylon I have built as the royal residence but my, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He falls off the wagon right here. He says, even as the words were on his lips, this is what it says, a voice came from heaven. He didn't even get to finish his thought. He didn't even get to finish to say, look at what I've done. And it says, before he could finish his sentence, a voice from heaven said, this is what decreed, is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times or seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. See, one of the greatest themes in the book of Daniel, like we said, is God is in control. He's in control of those who are in control that the kingdom... Uh, the kingdoms that exist right now in the world, they're there because God allows them. And Nebuchadnezzar, he just still doesn't get it. And the United States of America, listen, we exist because God allows us to exist. But like we said a few weeks ago, eventually there's going to be a stone that will, that will destroy all the earthly kingdoms because ultimately there is one kingdom, and it is the kingdom of God. And it is better and supersedes any kingdom here on earth. And verse 33 says this. It says, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from people. And he ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like claws of a bird. You see, because of Nebuchadnezzar's relentless pride, he's immediately sent away. And he is caused by God to behave like an animal for seven years. He grew wings, he grew fur, he grew claws, he ate like the ox. He was like an animal. And here's what we learn. The road from pride to humility will be providentially initiated by God if you don't do it yourself. You see the story here in Daniel chapter 4? is that when things go well and when you experience success, are you going to choose the path of pride or are you going to take the path of humility? And if you struggle with pride, let me just invite you to acknowledge it and deal with it yourself. Confess your sins. Come back to a spirit of humility and recognize that you have everything that you have because of God or else God will initiate, and it will not go well. And in this section, it closes with verse 34, and here's what it says. It says, Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses, so he's been there for seven years living like an animal. It says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, 
And check this out. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the most high God. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. You see, in those seven years, Nebuchadnezzar swallows his pride, acknowledges that God is in control and is the one who lives forever. And then he sings this song. He says his dominion is in eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, God is in control. Verse 36, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me from, for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, all of his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. King Nebuchadnezzar is like, listen, y'all, I've learned from experience, God will humble the pride. And so if you find yourself in a season where maybe you're being humbled, or maybe life is hard, and uh, perhaps right now in this moment, maybe you can break free from the pride by humbling yourself and giving God the glory. And here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to read Daniel chapter 4, what it looked like to walk in humility. Jesus was the ultimate example of the humble person. And as we stand here, we are attempting to follow God in the midst of Babylon. There are times where you're going to experience some successes, where you're going to experience some wins, and you're going to want to puff up your chest, and you're going to want to say, look at what I did, where culture, your culture and the values of the culture we live in where those values line up. And we need to respond by saying, praise God. We need to respond by saying, I give God the glory. It's not what I did, but it's what God did through me. And the temptation for us to be haughty and prideful, the temptation for us is to be haughty and prideful, but in following Jesus, we must humble ourselves and we must serve those around us and bless those around us because it's what Jesus did. Let me just close with a scripture from Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, it's a, it's a very uh, well-known chapter and, and verses and starts in verse 3. Let me just read it to you. It says this, and Paul is speaking, and he says, hey, church, that's us. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather... In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And we've talked about this. We've talked about, uh, do you have other people in your life that maybe don't believe the same things that you do? Are you listening to them? Are you considering their interests as well? And then it goes on in verse five, and it says this. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, check this out, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. 
being made in human likeness. So in other words, God didn't, Jesus didn't show up on earth with his Jesus um, cape on and say, look at me, I'm God, I'm here to save the day. You should follow me. That's not what he did. It said that he humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted himself to the highest place and gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of the God the Father. Listen, we say this, we say that pride, we say that pride goes before the fall, but in the kingdom of God, humility goes before the glory. Jesus humbled himself as a servant and only then was he placed in a seat of glory. That's what Jesus did. He humbled himself and then he was exalted as name above every other name. And, every, and, and in the kingdom of God, everything is flipped. In ancient Greek culture, humility was considered to be a, a, a weakness it was considered to be a negative attribute, but in the kingdom of God, humility is what is expected. It is the example by which we are to live our lives. So the question is, what are you building and who are you building it for? Are you building it to grow the kingdom of God or are you building it just to puff up your chest and say, look at what I did? What are you building and who are you building it for? Are you building so that you can put the spotlight on yourself so that you can have the glory and the praise and the spoils that comes with your success? Or are you living in humility, recognizing that God is the most high God and we all that we do, we do for his glory. Everything that we do is to be a blessing to others and to be able to love and to serve others. See church, you might not realize it, but pride is a big deal. It's a big deal in the world and in God's world. And as we live in God's world, we have to be aware of the pride in our own lives. And we have to ask ourselves the question, am I allowing pride to creep into my life? Because every time there's pride, there's gonna be a fall. There's gonna be a fall. So just ask yourself that question. What am I building and who am I building it for? Are you building it so the spotlight will be on you? Or are you building it so that you can be a blessing to those around you? So that God can get the glory for what you're accomplishing. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you again this week for just another important lesson that we can learn from the book of Daniel. And God, pride is something that all of us deal with at one level or another. Father, maybe there's some folks in here today that they're recognizing, you know what? Pride is getting out of control in my life. Like I'm recognizing that I want the attaboys. I want my name in bright letters. I want the pat on the back. I want people to see what I've done. I want to hear people say, well done, 
maybe now is the time to humble yourself, to do it on your own before God does it for you. Say, God, I recognize that there's pride in my life. I recognize that I liked hearing my name, that I liked saying those words, look at what I did, when I knew all along that I didn't do it, but that you did it through me. Maybe even holding on to the spoils of your success rather than being generous and sharing those with others. Whatever it is, maybe today is the day that you repent. You say, God, I recognize that I'm far from you because of my pride. I'm sorry. I'm sorry and I confess my pride to you. But I don't stop there. I turn into the opposite direction and I commit to living a life of humility rather than pride. And maybe it's not pride. Maybe you're here today and maybe pride's not your thing. But maybe you're recognizing that there is something in your life that is causing you to be far from God. And maybe you're recognizing right here in this place right now that it's time to repent. It's time for you to acknowledge that you're far from God because of whatever that thing is. And that you wanna come before God and you wanna ask for forgiveness for that sin, that thing in your life that is keeping you from God. But you're not gonna stop by just confessing it, that you're gonna actively turn in the opposite direction of whatever that thing was. And you are gonna move towards God, away from the sin and towards God. Maybe you just need to repent. Just take a moment right now and just confess. Spend a moment acknowledging, confessing, and turning away. Acknowledge, confess, turn away. Just repent. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe this is your first, second, or third time in church, and you're like, man, like I am way far from God. And I have never never been near him and maybe today is the day that you acknowledge that and you simply say you know what God I've been living my life apart from you but I want to change that today I want to give my life to you I confess that I have done things that have that have caused me to be to live a life far from you and I have sinned I confess that sin to you and Lord today I'm going to walk away from my old life and I'm gonna to walk towards you. I'm gonna repent of my sin and invite you to come and to be my Lord and my Savior today. If that's you, just tell Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I want you. I want you in my life. I repent of my sin and I confess that I need you. And I walk, I take my first step towards you, the first of many, Lord. Come, Jesus, be in my heart, be in my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for being a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for loving us right where we are, but loving us enough not to leave us right where we are. You're in control. You are bigger. You are better. You are better anything this world has to offer. In your name we pray. Amen. 
hey, we're going to sing a song to just kind of bring this all together. And as we sing, I want to invite you, if you'd like to come and spend time in prayer, that you come and spend time in prayer. Maybe you need to have some time of repentance on your knees before the Lord. Maybe you just need to come and say, thank you, Jesus, for taking care of me this week. Maybe you just need to come and just acknowledge who God is. Whatever it is, you come. Spend time in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm right on the front row. I would be honored to pray with you. Or maybe you just want to grab the person around you, someone that's sitting next to you that you trust. Say, hey, would you just come and pray with me? And you don't have to come up here alone. And there is no no judgment in coming up here and spending time in prayer. You just come and spend time with the Lord as we sing. Let's stand together and let's sing this together.